All right, welcome to the show, episode 611. Talking New York Yankees in this one. Uh, as we are recording, it's the morning of January 17th, Wednesday. Recording this before I head out and get my day started. And I just wanted to talk some Yankees real quick. Uh, maybe about 40 minutes, I would say, this episode is going to be. Um, you know, a little afterthoughts from the Stroman deal. What's next? Expectations for the season and so forth. So we'll get to that all. Here in episode 611 of the podcast, BD4. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. You are listening to BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. We also do MMA. Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. Let's get to it. Anthony for three. What's going on, everybody? What's happening? Episode 611 of the podcast. Thanks for stopping by and tuning in to BD4. So, oh, the New York Yankees. Um, Yeah, man. I mean, like, it's it seems like the Yankees are done, um, at least with any major moves regarding the rotation. Like, it, it's, yeah, I, I think the New York Yankees are going into this upcoming season relying on the upside of their five-man rotation again, right? That that low floor, high ceiling possibility is still there, and that doesn't sit well with me because you look at the rotation, and in no particular order, uh, obviously your number one is, is Garrett Cole. Uh, that's your ace. I think everybody has confidence, knock on friggin' wood, that he's going to stay healthy and produce similar to how he's done as a Yankee again next year. Um, and then, you know, you can go, honestly, it's interchangeable two to five. Um, Clark Schmidt, you know, was the second best Yankee starter last season. Um, though I cannot imagine that being, I think that can't be the case again. The Yankees can't have another season where Clark Schmidt and his, I don't know, four, six, Four seven ERA is the second next starting pitcher behind Cole. Like that, you have to hope he may. I'm sure he's going to take a step forward, right? But it's Clark Schmidt. He's in his upper twenties. Like, what's the next step for him? It's probably a marginal improvement. You know, it's probably a year similar to last year minus April, right? He'll pitch in the maybe the low fours, maybe if we're lucky, the high threes. But I think Clark Schmidt, you know who he is. He's going to be in the back end of the bullpen. And it's probably going to be Schmidt and Nestor Cortez to start the year at 4-5. and Um, And maybe those two pitchers kind of have better seasons because maybe they're both battling for that final spot in the rotation for October. You know, they're both on cheap contracts. Um... Only one of them will be pitching in the rotation in the playoffs. The other will be coming out of the bullpen. I believe that Clark Schmidt's stuff plays up in the bullpen. Uh, But you could also make the case that Nestor Cortez, you know, with the rotator cuff concerns regarding his, that was on his throwing arm last year. How's that shoulder going to look? Does it affect him long term? Is the velocity going to take an even more dip? Will the command be the same? He, he's had home run issues in the past. You know, I think 2019 he had home run problems. 
Last year, that was a big issue for him. Is he going to be able to get by at 91 miles an hour again, you know, relying on movement, location, changing eye levels? Because the issue with him was the third time through the order, right? It, it was that fifth inning where guys started getting used to his stuff. Um, he's got good stuff despite the velocity not being great, but like, I don't know that you can expect Nestor Cortez to be that, you know, number two pitcher that he was uh, with the Yankees prior. Was it prior to last season? Was it 2021 or 22? I don't know that he's an ace type pitcher anymore. Um, I still think he could be fun, do the whole, you know, his antics with the with the different deliveries and arm angles. And I still think he has a enough in him to be a three and a half to four ERA five and fly pitcher. And I would be content with that. Right. I'd be content with good, not great from Nesta Cortez. But I definitely see him and Schmidt. Maybe they, you know, maybe that fuels them. A little bit of a, an inner competition there to pitch better because they both want to make a playoff, the playoff rotation. Um, but I could see one of them at some point being um, pitching out of the bullpen um, if the Yankees do go and get bull, uh, rotation help between now and the deadline. Um, Carlos Rodon, obviously this is the key to the Yankee rotation, right? I don't think anybody is... Uh, saying anything other than that. Um, lost track of words there, but yeah, he's the wild card here. If Nestor Cortez, not Nestor Cortez, if Carlos Rodon is bad, I think the Yankee rotation is bad and their season is very similar to last year. Um, last year, he wasn't good. He had a very bad 2023 with the injuries with the underachieving when he was on the mound, he had the shoulder problems, the back problems. Maybe this apparent weight loss helps with the back issues, less strain. Um, you know, but it is a little bit scary that he's going into this season with even more pressure to be great, right? Last year, he wasn't really relied upon, um, and he was bad. This year, he's going to be relied on. It's like, what are you going to get? I don't... I, I, I'm i scared when it, when it comes to Carlos Rodon. Um, he crumbled in the New York City spotlight last year. Let's just say it how it is, right? He didn't really give you plenty of optimism that he can handle that. Um, arguing with Boone, getting into it with Blake, you know, getting into it with Yankees fans, flipping them off as he walks off the mound and chirping at them and... I don't know how that's going to go, man. Um, and again, I, you know, that stuff, I just care how you pitch, but that stuff can affect the way you pitch, right? Um, maybe not. Maybe he just, maybe he needs to add another pitch. Like, we've talked, we talked about it last year, how I, I don't love that he's a two-pitch pitcher. For a starting pitcher, you want at least three. Um I think we spoke on how, like, Matt Blake in the past has worked with Nestor Cortez and Garrett Cole on the cutter. They're, they've, you know, thrown the cut fastball a lot more over the past few years, and Garrett Cole brought that back last year. Wins this uh, young Nestor Cortez. That was his best pitch uh, when he was healthy in 2022. Maybe you see Carlos Rodon add a cutter to that four-seam slider Arsenal, right? Because he doesn't really throw anything else. Um, and that's a big issue as to why he, as well, got hit around sometimes as he went deeper into the game and the whole third time through. Maybe adding a cutter can help him navigate lineups and go deeper into games and be more effective when he's in the fifth and sixth innings. Um, and, you know, unlike with Nestor Cortez... Um, I'm not looking for good, not great. With with Carlos Rodon, I think Carlos Rodon needs to be great, not good, unfortunately. That's the situation the Yankees have put themselves in. Um, I think he needs to be more like he was with San Francisco and 
was it the White Sox before he went to San Francisco, where the last two seasons entering last year, he had a 2.67 in those two years combined. I need something similar to that. You know, I need him to eat at least 150 innings for you. I don't think he's ever going to be a 200 innings guy, but give me 150, pitch to a sub three. I think that's needed from Carlos Rodon. I think if the Yankees want to make a deep postseason run, they need that type of pitcher on the mound for them. Carlos Rodon is the key to this rotation, but really the team, because the rotation is the key to the team, and he's the key to the rotation. Um, Marcus Stroman's a good ad. I've spoken on him in episode 609, so if you want to go check that out, we said all we needed to say about him there. Um, I think he's a solid number three, number four pitcher, right? And his best day is a number three. Um, I like the swagger that he pitches with. You know, he's been active on his Instagram recently since signing with the Yankees, and he's he seems like he's excited. excited. Obviously, that means zero. We'll see how he pitches. Um, and, you know, with the whole drama regarding him, it's, it's like a, it's a chicken and egg type of thing. You know, does his attitude affect the way he pitches? Vice versa. I, I just think, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I think it's very overblown. I think social media makes things worse than they seem. You know, um, I pitch, pitch good baseball. Pitch good baseball. I don't care that he's not the most traditional Yankee. And that's, again, as we spoke on in 609, that's why I love him because he's kind of against the grain. He's not the traditional PC professional Yankee. I like an asshole. I like a guy with an edge. I like a guy who, you know, makes people uncomfortable. Um, So I think Stroman's going to be good. Uh, I think Cole's going to be great. It's, It's a slight upgrade. You know, you're replacing, you could look at it as Strowman's replacing Seve and Domingo, which is a, an upgrade. Uh, but you still have the gigantic question marks, you know, with him handling the fan base. Does that affect the way he's pitching? You still have the question marks regarding Rodone's rebound season. Is that possible? Is that possible for Nestor Cortez to return to a decent pitcher? Is it, you know, can you get more consistency from Clark? What if somebody goes down? You know, injuries are going to happen. Somebody will go down. What's your depth looking like? You're relying on, you know, unproven prospects. You're relying on Luke Weaver as your swing man. That's not my favorite thing in the world. So, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly the Yankees are pivoting to the bullpen now. Uh, If they do make a move, it's going to be most likely out of the bullpen, and they'll probably call it a winter from there. Um As we go to the bullpen, um, well, we should probably start with the Yankees lost. Uh, Let me just put the charger in here so I don't start lagging. Uh, Make sure we're good. Hold on. Okay. Um, Yeah, regarding the bullpen, so obviously the Yankees in the um, Soto deal lost Michael King. They lost Johnny Brito. They lost Randy Vasquez. They lost a few more pitchers in the Verdugo deal. And then they lost, I think, three pitchers to the Rule 5 draft. So they gutted their pitching depth. Starters, bullpen, uh, Peralta, there's a chance he's not with the Yankees next year. Um, And they brought in one guy, uh, maybe a couple other guys, but I don't think they're going to be part of the bullpen. I think one guy who you can say is definitely going to be part of the pen, Victor Gonzalez. Um, who is a left-handed pitcher. They traded him, they traded for him in that LA Dodgers deal where they sent over Trey Sweeney to the Dodgers. Uh, pretty big name in the Yankees system. Uh, and they got Gonzalez, left-handed reliever, um, who is their only standing lefty reliever outside of Nick Ramirez, um, who's you know, mop-up role. But they have Gonzalez, they have Holmes, Canley, Hamilton. F. Ross returning, Lasagna, Marinaccio, uh, and then possibly down the line, Luis Heel, maybe once he's ready, and maybe you see Clayton Beater come out of the bullpen. I think he's more of a reliever anyway because of his walk walk issues. I think he's got a great curveball. Um, 
Luke Weaver will probably see some appearances out of the pen this year, and then maybe Nick Ramirez. Like there's a there are a number of guys. I'm comfortable with the bullpen. I always think the Yankee bullpen finds its way. They do. Um, I wouldn't mind if the Yankees looked for like one more high leverage guy, uh, preferably a lefty. You know, because while I do very much trust the Yankees bullpen, and I think it's probably going to be the best part of their team next year. There's a universe, there's an alternate universe that exists where things can go wrong. It's important to acknowledge that Tommy Canely is 35 years old in August. Um, he did not end last year on a good note, right? He kind of got rocked around. He leaned too heavily on his changeup. He had a lot of walks toward the end of the year. Command issues were a thing. Uh, he ended the season with a 4.38 ERA in his last 11 games, and then he went on the DL, I believe, late September. There's injuries with injury concerns with him. There's injury concern with Jonathan Loizaga. He's often on the DL constantly. Um, what's his name? Chicago Cubs guy they got. We just said his name. Scott Efros. There's concern there. He's coming off the surgery. Ian Hamilton. Can he do what he did last year again? I hope. Uh, before he was a Yankee, he only had 14 and two-thirds innings of Major League experience from 2018 to 2022. And he did that at a uh, to the tune of a five ERA, just about. <laughs> you know, him regressing to mean wouldn't really shock a ton of people. Um, Clay Holmes, uh, I don't love Clay Holmes at closer. That's something I've made known before, I think. He's much better as a setup man where he has to think less and just pitch. Um, in his career, he's got a 3.77 ERA in the ninth inning or later. In the seventh or eighth inning, he's got a 2.74 ERA in his career. So there's a stark difference for you. I, I think the numbers support it. The eye test supports it that he should probably be the setup man. But he's most likely going into the season as the closer. Um, Ron Marinaccio, he kind of struggled last year. You know, they sent him down at points. Can he rebound? So there's a world where it's like, yeah, I would probably want an extra high-leverage guy in there. Uh, you're hearing the Josh Hader chirps again. You know, that's probably the perfect ideal fit. I would love him. I think he's the best relief pitcher in baseball. He's got the stuff, an elite slider. Um, you go to his baseball savant, that shit's all red. He gets results year to year, if you like that. Left-handed pitcher. He would, give you that, he, he would give you that second lefty um, next to Gonzalez. Um, and he would allow you to move Clay Holmes back to his setup role. Because you can close games with Josh Hader. Um, it'd be a good move. Obviously, he's got some off the field. I, I wouldn't even say he has off the field issues. He just had that one incident a couple years ago where stupid, dumb, idiotic decision to post, you know, a certain word on Twitter uh, time and time again. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I personally don't care how much of an asshole you are off the field. I don't care what your views are on things. I see these players as objects. Just help me win games. Um, I, I think, like, anybody who has... Anybody who, like, wants the Yankees to build a roster with good people, not good players, is, like... It's like such a Twitter Zoomer thing. Like, I feel like it's Gen Z Twitter people who care about that shit. And I don't think that's, that's not building the team. So we don't have to worry about Twitter Zoomers. Um, it, it's stupid. I'm not, I'm not excusing Josh Hader. I, I think he's a better person though. You know, I think we can all forgive and we can all change. And saying stupid shit on social media as a 16 year old human being is different than however old Josh Hader is, you know. Now, uh, I think people change and I think people say stupid shit all the time on social media. And I think we should probably not care as much as we do regarding social media because it's fake and it doesn't exist. Um, again, not excusing him. But like we've we've dealt with Chapman who actually did bad things. We've dealt with Domingo Herman who actually did bad things. I can live with someone saying bad things on the Internet. Um I'm for Josh Hader. Um, he's expected to get like Edwin Diaz type money. Um, I'm hearing less AAV, but more 
but he wants the extra year. So maybe it's like 120 over six. That would be a $20 million salary for a reliever. A lot of people have issues paying big money to relief pitching. Um, I have no problem to it, contrary to popular belief. I think it's fine. Like I, If you're Josh Hader and you're a rare talent, that's exception to a rule, and I, th- and I think I would do that. But I think st- uh, I think Hal Steinbrenner's probably done spending big anywhere. I think he's very focused on that payroll. The Yankees seem to bring it up every time they speak to the media. Um, their payroll now sits at three hundred five million, so it's the highest it's ever been. Um, they're obviously trying to focus on bringing back Juan Soto next winter. So that's probably going to play a role into what they do the rest of the way. That's probably why they didn't want to pay Yamamoto the extra 25 and Snell give him the extra year to his contract. You know, I think, listen, I, as much as I want hater, I wouldn't, like, if they don't sign him, I'm not going to be in distraught because I think the Yankees are very capable of building a bullpen because they have Matt Blake on their staff. And, and, you know, the Matt Blake special is always a possibility where you turn bums into top-end talent, right? The last three seasons under Blake Snell, the Yankee pen has been fourth, third, and then last year first in ERA. So top of the list every year, and they get better and better. So um, I think smaller names, which we're going to talk about a smaller name in one second, are probably the best idea, Um, but I am all for a hater. Uh, David Bedner, I was listening to Talking Yanks. John Boy brought his name up. There's been past interest in him before with the Yankees. Um, he's another great fit. He's got elite stuff. You look at his baseball savant, it's also good. He gives you consistent results year to year. Uh, he led the league in saves last year as a closer. And he's on a cheap contract. He's on a very cheap contract. Cashman loves the team control thing. Well, David Bedner has three years left, so... That's something Cashman would love. But, you know, at the same time, Hal and Cashman would have to pay a hefty package in prospects to get someone like Bender. Um, he's pricey. You know, the, the prospect call wouldn't be cheap, uh, especially like with, with the Yankees' history in dealing with the Pirates. Like, do the Pirates really want to deal with the Yankees again? And if they do, I can't imagine they're going to be stupid enough to give away potato chips again this time. Um but the name I was talking about um, is a name that's come up lately. I think it was a report from Hector Gomez saying that the Yankees and Texas Rangers are among the front runners to land uh, Hector Neris. Hector Neris would be a solid fit. He's a veteran with championship experience. Uh, he spent 10 years in the big leagues. Uh, eight seasons came with the Philadelphia Phillies. And the last two seasons he spent with the Houston Astros. Um, And he's quietly had a very good career. You don't hear his name often, but he's solid. He's had nine healthy seasons. um, And in seven of them, he's had an ERA below four. Four of them, an ERA below three. I'm counting the 3.01 ERA that he had in 2017. Um, He's an innings eater. He's gone at least 60 innings six times. At least 70 innings three times. So he's durable, um, 34 years old. He's a big dude. He's 6'2", 230, uh, just about. You go to his baseball savant, that's all red. Baseball reference, the results are all there year to year, mostly. He's pretty good. Um, I don't know that he's going to be as great as he was last year with a one seven one, but I think he could be where he is in, in, at his career norm. Um, and I think you work with Blake, you get good results. And he's got a good pitching arsenal. His pitch mix is is nice. He's got four-seam splitter sinker in his arsenal, and it sounds like it's like a ground ball pitcher when you look at that, but he's not a ground ball pitcher. He's actually a fly ball strikeout guy. Um, The four-seamer is not hard, but he's got a lot of movement on it. Um, When he went to the Astros two years ago, they worked with him in his release point. They've kind of tweaked his mechanics. Um, So now he's got a higher release point, which has helped him generate vertical ride on the four-seamer. And it's become a much tougher pitch to hit in those last two seasons with Houston. So 
they've helped him there. Um, his split finger is still probably his best pitch. That's his put-away pitch. He, it's a good pitch right next to the four-seamer. It complements it well because of the two different directions of, uh, of the movement um, in movement. Throws the splitter a lot to left-handed batters. He mixes it up very well there. Um, and his sinker is probably the worst pitch of the three that he rely on that he relies on. Um, he favors right-handed hitting with the with the sinker. Again, it's another pitch that Matt Blake has worked with other Yankee pitchers before, too. Uh, so maybe his sinker is something he utilizes more and, and he gets more ground ball results. You know? Um yeah, I mean, Matt Blake has worked with the Yankees like sinker bowlers, you know, just all the guys they brought in in recent years, Britton, King, Lasagna, although it's more of a two-seamer, but Clay Holmes has a sinker. I, I think he'd fit. Um, his only blue on baseball savant is his velo, his walk rate, his barrel percentage, his ground ball rate, and his extension. Everything else is red. Um, the walks have been an issue in the past, especially because he has home run issues. Um, you know, when Talking Yanks on Twitter or on Instagram first posted that the Yankees were interested in Hector Neris, uh, I, I like to read the comments because a lot of baseball fans give their opinion. And it seemed like a lot of Phillies fans hated Hector Neris because he blew a lot of games for them since he was a flyball pitcher who walked a lot of batters. Um, so that's definitely concerning in Yankee Stadium, right? Especially if he puts guys on base. But overall, Hector Neris is somebody I would take a, a chance on because he's probably going to be cheap. Um, he opted out of an $8.5 million deal for 2024. All right. He's probably going to get something like, let's say, $20 million across two years. Right? So what's that? $10 million AAV. Maybe you throw in an option for a third year. I... I went on uh, MLB trade rumors. They said 15. That would be a total win. Uh, but I, let's let's uh, let's say 20 million is probably what he's gonna make. Uh, and, and I would do that. I would do that. I think he would be a great guy to put in the seventh and eighth inning. That's what he. That's where he pitched mostly with Houston. Uh, but he can close games and give you a ninth inning closer um, option if you need to go there. You know, if you if you if you feel more comfortable like I do with Clay Holmes in the eighth inning, you can do that and have Hector Neris slide into the ninth inning role. Um, good thing about him is I know he's a right-handed pitcher. Um, we we do need more lefties, but he is a guy who can get lefties and righties out regardless. So that's good. Um, other free agent relief pitchers out there. Um, there's a lot of potential, like reunions. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing the Yankee bring. Yankees bring back um, I, his first name. I might be saying it incorrectly. Kenyon Middleton. They brought him. You know, he was the the one acquisition they did make at the at the deadline last year. I thought he was pretty solid for them. I liked what I saw. Um, I think he could be another Matt Blake project that he works with and gets to pitch pretty well for the Yankees. So I, I wouldn't mind bringing him back. He'll be cheap. Um, obviously, Wandy Peralta would be a nice addition. I wouldn't mind another another left-handed pitcher. Um, he's been consistent in high-leverage situations, so Peralta's a, an ideal target. Um, David Robertson's a free agent. I, I, I'm good on, like, dinosaurs. <laughs> Luke Trevino. Uh, Trevino. I don't think he's coming back. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Middleton would be a good idea. Uh, Peralta would be a good idea, but I think the I, the best fit, I think I would aim for Hector Neris because he's, I don't know, I just feel comfortable with him. Um, Peralta, if they went back, if they went out and got and brought Peralta back, I'm not mad. Um, but yeah, it's probably address the bullpen and we're good uh, for the Yankees. That that's probably what they're. Um, what do you call it? mindset is Let, let's let's hit the bullpen and then call it a winter so we'll see um we're gonna head to our first break and when we get back i want to talk a little bit about the yankees lineup and then that'll be that so stay with us 
We'll be right back here on BD4, episode 611. The Yanks done adding to their roster, question mark. We appreciate you sticking around and listening so far. When you have a chance, be sure to open YouTube to subscribe, like, and comment. And if you're already watching on YouTube, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate your feedback and are always looking to improve. Now, with that all said, let's get you back to the show. You can also find us on social media. If you'd like, you can follow BD4 on Facebook, and we're at BD4Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate you helping us grow more and more every day. Let's get back to it. If you have time in the day or maybe just prefer old-fashioned reading over listening, then you can always follow along and subscribe to BD4Blog by going to bd4blog.com. We're not on there as often, but when we do post, it's just as entertaining, opinionated, and passionate as we are on this podcast. Thank you so much. And let's keep on with the show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. Please subscribe, download, share, like, comment, rate, and review to this podcast if you haven't done yet. I appreciate that. I'm your host, RJ, and you are listening to BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis, Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. Thank you for stopping by. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this Yankees lineup because, whoops, I'm on the wrong section, aren't I? Here we are. I want to talk a little bit about this Yankees lineup because I'm confident that he can be top seven. I am confident the Yankees can be a top seven offense again. Um, I think they have a floor of being the seventh best offense and a ceiling. If everybody's healthy, everything goes to plan as the number one offense in baseball. I really do. I, I, I love the new faces that you have in here, not just Soto, but Verdugo, Grisham, Austin Wells, you know, and maybe Dominguez returns sometime in August. Um, that's a much better lineup entering this season than we saw last year, where we had IKF out there, Trevino and Higgy as the tandem, Franchi Cordero. You had McKinney, you had infielders playing outfield, guys out of position. That's not going to happen anymore. The defense will improve, and you got you're going to have at least three, four different faces every single day in that lineup that you, ha- that you didn't have last year. Um, I also love the fact that you can go lefty, righty, lefty, righty now, right? There will be probably three, four lefties in the everyday lineup this year as well, as opposed to not having many at all the last several years. You know, you're going to have Soto in there every day. You're going to have Verdugo in there mostly every day. You're going to have Austin Wells in there hopefully at least half the time. Um, that's, that's huge. Rizzo is going to be in there every day. You're going to have lefties in the lineup. Um, you, you're, you can be very versatile at the top of the order. Obviously you can interchange judge and Soto. They each protect each other, but you can, you can mess around at the leadoff spot. You know, you want a lefty righty platoon with DJ and Verdugo. You can do that. You know, I think there's a lot of versatility. There's a lot of flexibility that Aaron Boone can can screw around with, and he can play with this lineup to make it really potent. Um, I think because the Yankees have the best righty-lefty duo in baseball with Judge and Soto, two and three, presumably, and we also know that you know Verdugo and Torres will be above-average hitters at worst, right? Um, just looking at their careers in recent seasons. So, like, with that, it's up to the other five guys to just get timely hits and do enough, you know? And five guys is probably a lot of question marks in in most lineups, but most lineups don't have Judge and Soto batting two and three, right? There are exceptions to the rule, and I think you could be a little top-heavy when you have two of arguably the two best hitters one and two in baseball. Let's just put it straight. Um so I think the Yankees will produce offense. Um, you still want something from your vets, right? You, you want something. Um, I think Stanton's probably the biggest key to the lineup. 
Um, maybe you know he might not hold as much weight as a Carlos Rodon does to the rotation because I think the rotation impacts this team more this year. Um, but Stanton's a key. You know, uh, he's going to be 30. I think he is 34 years old. So he's going to be 34 years old next season. And he's not been productive for the Yankees the last two years. Uh, in the last two seasons, Stanton has played just 211 games. He's hit 202 with a terrible 286 on base. He's 30% K rate, just 10% walks, and the OPS plus is at 100, which is exactly average. For a guy you're paying big money, that's not good. And last year, he was way below average. He was a 191 hitter, and his OPS was in the upper 600s. Terrible. Terrible. Um, the power remains. Like, the power is still there. He's averaging 42 homers, 106 RBIs per 162, even during his career-worst stretch the last two years. So I think he still has the pop. There might be some slight reduction in his bat speed because he's older, but there's still plenty enough in the power department. Um, I just think that Stanton, and the Yankees are stuck with him, so I'm not going to even entertain the, the thought of moving him. Nobody's going to take that contract for a guy who can't do anything but swing a bat, literally. And I think because of that, you can't rely on him to be your cleanup. I think he cannot be higher than number five in the order, to be honest. I prefer sending him out there as the six-hole hitter in on opening day. This way you kind of send a message and you maybe motivate him to get his shit together, stay healthy and produce. I have a bad feeling because the Yankees don't operate like that. They they have trust to a, to a fault in their guys. I have a bad feeling that on opening day, Giancarlo is going to be back in cleanup. Um, and I think Aaron Boone has got to have a short leash on that. Uh, if it's the end of April and Stanton's still struggling, you got to move him down. Uh, if it's the end of May and Stanton's still struggling, you got to take him out of the lineup. You can't play him. Then he's unplayable. Um, you, you, you can afford it now, too. Like last year, you couldn't afford it because you had to play infielders playing outfield. But this year, you have the depth to where you can afford to sit Stanton down if he's not getting the job done. You know, you have Verdugo, Grisham, Judge, Soto. You're going to be able to open up DH spots like that. Dominguez, possibly at the end of the year. You have the depth to where you can play around and sit Stanton, get Judge off his feet, play him at DH. Same with Soto. Play Verdugo, uh, play Grisham in center field on those days. You can do it. So if Stanton's bad, so bad to a point where you cannot play him anymore, the Yankees can survive that, which is why I think he's less of a key to the team than Rodon is. Um, but I do need production. Um, is there a world out there where Stanton can still hit 230 for me? Give me an 800 OPS, 30 home runs, play in 130 games? That's a win. If I get a stat line like that, that's a huge win. Um, apparently, he also slimmed down. You know, every Yankees player does, according to Yankees fans on Twitter. <laughs> you see these screenshots every year. You saw it with Gary Sanchez. You saw it with... You see it with everybody. They always do this game. Um, but yeah, maybe that helps them. Um, they need him. They need him to be decent. Uh, DJ LeMayu, another veteran who... Hasn't been good. Um, he's not been the same since the COVID season, right? And then, you know, people blame the toe in 2022. Now people are kind of saying he's going to bounce back because he had a better second half last year. I, I just, like, I think everybody needs to just, like, snap out of this delusion and just accept that DJ LeMayu was washed. Um. I think with a lot of these guys, a lot of these veterans, you got to have quick hooks on them. It's a young man's game now, man. Like, DJ, you got to have a quick hook. If he's not cutting it after a couple months, Peraza, you're getting your reps. Uh, I know the Yankees don't trust Peraza. Maybe they go out. You, you heard a little bit of Gio Urshela rumors. I don't know. Uh, you're hearing some Matt Chapman rumors. But you also heard Boone say a few months back that they plan on going into the year with DJ as their third baseman. Don't love that. Um, but he's going to have to show you something or else he definitely can't be leading off. 
definitely can't be leading off. Um, but I think best case scenario, DJ is like the six hole hitter on this team. That's best case. Um, Anthony Rizzo. I'm probably highest of the three veterans, Stanton, DJ Rizzo. I'm probably highest on Rizzo just because his concussion slash pre-concussion splits right before the incident with Tatis um, were a stark difference. He was having a career season before the injury happened. Um, so I think there's a world out there where he could still be adequate for you. Um, but it's interesting because Rizzo is in a walk year. And if we're getting to later in the year, July, August, and Rizzo's not cutting it, you have options, right? If he's not productive, maybe there's someone out there looking for a lefty first baseman, trying to contend, and the Yankees have Spencer Jones, who played first base with Vanderbilt. At his size, it might be best for him to be a first baseman in the future. Maybe you see him get a shot later in the year if he's ready by then. Um, more realistically, the Yankees have trade options. You know, there are some good expiring first basemen on the market right now. Um, obviously, the whole Pete Alonso situation, you never know there. Um, I don't know if the Yankees and Mets are making a deal together, but you have uh, other expiring first basemen like Goldie. Veteran bat and glove. That's an option you can get. Josh Bell, another left-handed power bat linked to the Yankees before. Mark Kana is a first baseman who's expiring. So, you know, if Rizzo isn't producing later in the year, uh, and I don't I don't know about, you know, Yankees fans like Ben Rice. I don't know that Ben Rice is going to be ready. But there are short-term options you can fix on the fly if Rizzo's not cutting it. Um, but I think the Vets, you need at least... One of them to be adequate, you know, another one to be maybe two. Like, I you can't have three unproductive veterans, like, they they were both all three of them were very unproductive at, at like long stretches in the season last year. Um, you can't have two of them being bad at the same time anymore. I think you're also hoping for Anthony Volpe to take a next step, right? Rookie year last year. Some good, some bad, some ugly. Um, struggled with the high fastball. Struggled with the breaking ball. I'm not in that camp that believes Anthony Volpe can be a 300 bat. Um, I hope the Yankees and their new hitting coach work with him properly this time. One of my biggest gripes with this Yankees team last season that we talked about was they can't be teaching Anthony Volpe these Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton-like philosophies because Anthony Volpe is not that. Anthony Volpe is a 22-year-old, 5'9", 180-pound soaking wet middle infielder. He's not a guy who's going to drive the ball 450 feet. This is a guy who needs to be focusing on line drives on the gap. If he's developed properly, I think Anthony Volpe is a 250-260 hitter, 800 OPS kid, 25-25 guy, with good defense. And I will absolutely take that from a middle infielder. That's a win. Um, I just think it's it's a lot. A lot of it depends on player development. And I think they really need to take a second look. And granted, I guess they did with their whole analytics audit. But with the way they develop players. And it can't just be about launch angles and, and exit velocity. Because not everybody can be used. You can't use that same philosophy on, on every player. Because they're all different. Um I'm intrigued to see what also Wells looks like. I'm really high on Wells' upside. I think he hit towards the end of last season. Uh, I was away in Italy, of course, when he started hitting, so I didn't get to see it, but I'm very high on him. I, I think he's got a good bat. I think he has potential to be the Yankees' best catcher since Jorge, uh, or I guess you know when Gary Sanchez was good his first two seasons. My only And he, and he played good defense, too, better than people thought. My only ask is... And that's another option. Maybe if Anthony Rizzo isn't hitting and, and Anthony and Anthony uh and Austin Wells starts to struggle on defense as he hasn't been great in the past, maybe he's your first baseman. But 
my only ask is if if this is a if it seems and it seems like the Yankees are keeping Jose Trevino, I think Rorfed's not going to be part of the roster. I just I would like for it to be 60-40 in favor of Austin Wells. Please. Like I need some youth. I, I love Trevino's defense. I think he works great with the staff. I think at this point, given how last season went, you need some offense, and it'd be nice to have some offense at catcher. Austin Wells, I think, should be get should be getting the majority of the reps. The, the Yankees are usually split 60-40 at best, so I would pray and hope that they favor Austin Wells 60% of the time and not the opposite. I just I don't think Jose Trevino can be an everyday bat. Uh, his defense is great, but his offense is way too poor for that, even as a catcher. Um, he can come off the bench for you 40% or 60% of the time. You know, I would like a veteran bench bat. You know, I, 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 I don't, I'm not in love with the bench, but it's a good bench. It's a bench I, I like. You have a lot of youth on there, right? Um, you got Oswaldo as the utility guy. Maybe if, if he's ready, if they call him up eventually. You got Peraza in the infield if you don't trade him. You have Pereira as your outfield depth if you don't trade him. They just cut Oscar Gonzalez to make room on the 40 for Stroman. Um, I love the youth on the bench. I just wish there was like one more veteran bat on the bench. Maybe they give somebody a spring training invite. Maybe it's Matt Carpenter. Um, but I think the bench is... Eh, it's okay. Um, it would be nice for one of the young kids to make that next step, or Oswaldo to find his swing next year. And I don't know. I don't know where he is regarding the whole ditching switch hitting thing because I know he considered just going from the left side. Uh, there was that report, but we'll see. Um, the Glaber Torres rumors have been popping up again recently. I mean, they've been a thing for years now, but you're hearing this Luis Arias stuff come up. Um, in a fantasy world, if we're playing MLB to sh- the show, I would do that shit in a heartbeat. Because <laughs> apparently Miami's shopping him again. Uh, neither side is a- is agreeing with each other in arbitration. This would instantly make the Yankees the best lineup in baseball. Um, because I still feel like they're missing that high 300s consistent bat. They need one more of those guys ever since DJ regressed. Um, I think he'd be perfect. I would. I mean, Luis Arias at the top of this lineup with Judge and Soto would make them the best lineup in baseball, and I don't think there's a question. Um, at least in the American League. Um, but it's like, it's it's not realistic because like, at least not with Glaber Torres' name in there. Why would Miami give away Arias, who has two years left, for Glaber Torres, who's expiring? They're they're a cheap organization. They don't spend a lot of money. Um, Glaber's making fourteen and a half this year. He's set to make you know north of twenty salary wise on his next deal. The Yankees would probably have to pay up like Jones, Peraza, Hampton, plus a lot more in there. It's not just going to take Glaber Torres and, and some junk. Like I trade Glaber in a heartbeat for like top or you know young starting pitching with upside. Yes. Uh, and I definitely don't think Glaber fits this team long term. I can definitely see the Yankees moving him um, this year. I think they've been trying too long for it to not happen. I think it's inevitable. Um, they also have some guys expiring in the bullpen that they can use. Tommy Canley's off this year. Clay Holmes is in his last year. So, you know, they, if they if they're concerned about losing offense by moving Glaber. You have other options. Again, Anthony Rizzo is expiring as well. You have a lot of guys coming off the books. Um, speaking of uh, prospects, um, who was it? Baseball America released their updated top 100 prospect list, and the Yankees have six guys on there. They've got six guys. They've got Jason Dominguez at 16. They've got Spencer Jones at 46. Everson Pereira at 67. Roderick Arias, that international shortstop they brought in, at 68. Austin Wells as the 71st best. And Chase Hampton, 
uh, one of their top pitching prospects as the 72nd best prospect in baseball. So it's really good to have that. It's very valuable. Uh, all the nonsense narratives that are probably driven from like other fan bases who hate the Yankees say always say the Yankees have no farm depth. They have farm depth. Um, they don't listen. They don't look. They don't do their homework. Six guys in the top fucking 100 is not bad. Like, that's very good. And remember, Volpe and Peraza were also on that list before they began their service time. Um, it's just, it's excellent to have six guys there because you got all these trade chips, right? If anything arises down the line this summer, closer to August, you got six trade chips you can use. So, um, it's, it's, It's an offseason I wish had gone a little bit better. Overall, I would give the Yankees a B grade. Um, I, I w- as of now, a B. Maybe you can get that up to a plus if they sign, you know, relief pitching talent or we'll see. But, yeah, I, I think it's a good offseason. I know it sounds crazy to say after getting, you know, future Hall of Famer Juan Soto. But, like, it's about generating oh, – it's about – building a roster that's World Series ready. And I feel like there is a lot out there that the Yankees could have done. Um, I, I just, like, I don't find myself in agreement with the Yankees still. Like, man, you hear all the talk. You hear all the talk from them. The World Series are bust. Win at all costs. Okay, so it's like, where is that? You know, we, we say win at all costs until it ends up being a cost we don't like. What's the point of that mantra then? If we're World Series or bust, shouldn't we be primarily focused on making this team closer and closer to becoming a World Series contender? Would Josh Hader make the Yankees better today than yesterday? Yes, he would. Would Blake Snell make the Yankees better today than yesterday? Yes, he damn well would. So why aren't they here? Why are we worried about our wallets? Why are we worried about our six top 100 prospects who most likely neither of them except for Wells will be part of the team this year? Like, where's the evidence to back up that talk? World Series or bust, win at all costs. Where's the evidence? If you truly care about winning, you do what's necessary to win, and you stop talking about payroll. You stop talking about prospect depth. I'm sorry. I just don't agree with this. I don't want to say half in, half out approach, but like 75% in approach. I think it's got to be 100% or zero when you're the New York Yankees. If you're talking about World Series or bust, if you're making all these moves that indicate your World Series or bust, like renting Juan Soto for a year, giving away all your top pitching prospects for him and Verdugo for a year, then you got to do more around that. And I just don't think they did more around that for me to consider this team a World Series contender. Can that happen? Yeah, because we have the whole low floor, high ceiling thing that I like, that I like to say. But as this... As we speak right now, I feel like the Yankees are much closer, and I say much closer, to their floor than they are to their ceiling. I ju- I'm just not totally confident they can get there. Um, maybe I'm totally wrong. Uh, maybe they have a better season, and they win 95 games, they win the division, and they make this World Series run in October. I don't see that. As of now, I have the Yankees at 88 wins, third place. Like I don't, it's going to be good enough to get them into the dance. And some people think that's all you need to do. I don't believe that it's a crapshoot. I think there are exceptions like 2023. Um, I think dynasties happen for a reason. Look at the Yankees in the nineties. Look at the Astros of recent seasons. All these teams are usually top three in wins in the regular season, top four in wins at worst. Most of the time you're getting a pattern. Um, so I, I'm not, Super confident in this team, but we'll see. Um, the steamer projections came out recently. I don't know if anybody saw that. Um, I have a couple here. They've got Juan Soto at 284 with a 983 OPS next year. They have him hitting 38 bombs, 108 RBIs. They've got Judge hitting 270 with a excuse me with a 949 OPS, uh, 46 homers, 110 RBIs. They have Glaber having a very similar season. They have Volpe. Remember, these are usually conservative estimates, but they have Volpe 228 with a 715 OPS, um, 20 homers, and 21 stolen bases they have him at. They've got DJ 
with a 731 OPS. Uh, Austin Wells, 717. Verdugo having a decent year, 267 with a 744. Um, Rizzo having somewhat of a bounce back, which I think I'd accept, 243 with a 772 and 24 home runs. That's something I would I would live with. So, yeah, I, I think the lineup is is you're going to be relying on Soto and Judge, right? Um, everybody else just needs to be good and get timely hits. I think the lineup will be fine. I think the bullpen will be fine. I just worry about this rotation. So we'll see what happens in regards to that. Uh, with that said, we're going to head to our final break, get back, and wrap this thing up with our trivia question, and that will be that. Stay with us here on BD4 Episode 611. We'll be right back. Studio 69 Productions is a podcast production agency created by Leo Rodriguez to allow content creators to market their podcast. It's an online platform that will market your podcast or any other project that you're working on. Get in touch with Leo Rodriguez from Studio 69 Productions. You can find Studio 69 Productions on Instagram at Studio69NJ. Studio 69 Productions, where dreams are heard and born. Welcome back to the podcast. Appreciate you stopping by. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. So I just got a report that uh, Marcus Stroman and Brian Cashman plan to address the media together uh, tomorrow at, let's see, tomorrow at 3 and 4 p.m. That was a report from Gary Phillips. They're going to do a Zoom with reporters tomorrow at 4 p.m. That's cool. Nice. That'll be interesting. I, I want to see those clips. I love the uh, Verdugo, you know, interview that we saw a month ago. That was cool. Uh, this this will be interesting. <laughs> this will definitely be interesting. Showing and Cashman uh, in the same conference together. That's fun. Uh, so let's wrap this thing up with our trivia. Let's go. All right. So for this episode... Our trivia question is, who was the first Yankee to join the 30-30 club? All right. Who was the first Yankee to join the 30-30 club? And your hint is he was in the 1970s. All right. Who was the first Yankee to join the 30-30 club? And again, if you don't know, I don't know where you've been, 30-30 club is... Homer's Stolen Bases. Who was the first Yankee to join the 30-30 club? And your hint is it came in the 1970s. Whoops. Folks, that's it. Episode 611 is in the books. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. I appreciate everybody who stopped by. Thank you once again to all my new subscribers who came by about a week or two ago and just bombarded the channel with likes and views and comments. I really appreciated that. Um... All the Knicks fans who came in overnight, so that's awesome. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed this this episode, episode 611. Might be the last time we're talking Yankees in the offseason. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks for sure when spring training starts and we get to pitchers and catchers and we start talking about season projections that we'll get into. That'll be fun. But for now, this might be the last Yankees episode until then. So we're going to be heavy on the Knicks. Um, going to try my best to get some MMA in this year. I know we've been lacking with that, but definitely talking some more Knicks. Uh, they have a nice nice stretch of home games coming up. I just worry about the health of Jalen Brunson. So, Yanks episode in 611 here. Hope you enjoyed it. That's it. Appreciate it. I'll see you in the next show. This episode was brought to you by Anchor. Hey there. If you stayed the entire way through, we thank you immensely for it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you come back for the next episode real soon. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, download these episodes, and share them with your friends as well. BD4 is a five-star podcast simply because of you, and we'd like to keep it that way. Have a wonderful day. Go Yankees and go Knicks!